A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Hi everybody, it is really good to be with you again. If you're new to Emmanuel, uh, my name is Joel, I'm one of the leaders here in the church. Uh, but I've been away for a long period of time. Uh, I just went into the wilderness and uh, grew my hair and beard even longer and my fingernails. And, uh, uh, and gradually I've come back into civilization and I'm back in uh, my right mind and in the same T-shirt and uh, restored to normality. So it is so good. Uh, to be sharing in the Word of God with you today. Uh, in fact, I've been away on sabbatical, which means that every few years, seven years uh, in our case, uh, generally speaking, we who are on the staff as uh, elders in the church will get a chance to have a break for a stretch. And uh, I was scheduled for that for 2020. Uh, when COVID struck, I wondered if it was uh, best not to do it this year. But as the lockdown started, I began to think, well, maybe it's not such a, a bad time to, to properly pull out of things and have some rest time, some study time and some family time. And that's really uh, what I've been up to over the last couple of months. It's been a real joy and a privilege. And I really thank you. If you're part of Emmanuel, it's because of your uh, generosity, your kind and mature attitude uh, that people like me get this, this, uh, this opportunity for space. And I'm really grateful. Uh, it, is, it is good to know that you guys have been led and served so well. Uh, in my absence, I've come back to a church that seems, in spite of the bizarre circumstances, uh, to be thriving. And uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks getting back uh, into the saddle. Lots going on, lots to discuss, lots to plan for the future, lots that we will have the chance to share more uh, with you in the weeks and months to come. Um, but it's so good to be with you in the Bible today. So we are carrying on uh, with our studies in the Gospel of Matthew, this paradox series. And we're looking especially in these weeks at some of the parables that Jesus gives, these stories that he taught by. And we're in Matthew 21, verses uh, 28 to 32. Now, we just had it read to us. And what you have at the very start of this chunk of teaching from Jesus is uh, an important line that we could easily skip too quickly past. He says, what do you think? That is what he says at the outset 
of this parable. What do you think? And right there, I, I want you to notice an important, an important reality. Jesus wants for you and me to think about his teaching. He wants for us to engage mentally with it, to, to use our faculties of reason, if you like, to use our ability to think things through. I say that because I think it's way too easy for us, for, for whatever reason, to somehow miss this point and think that spiritual things and knowing God and having a relationship with God has very little to do with our minds and very little to do with thinking. Now that doesn't come from the Bible, that idea, but it's very prevalent in today's culture, even in churchy culture, I would say. And we need to move away from it because there's no place in the Bible where thinking is kind of separated from being spiritual. The thinking is kind of seen as, as not really good enough. No, no, no. If anything, we are urged to get more mature, to be uh, serious about the way we think with regards to God and the things of God and, and this book. The truth is that Jesus is concerned that his listeners aren't thinking. He's concerned and he's saying, think with me, because if you don't think this through, you could miss it. He's warning them. This is a story with a warning. He's saying some people are entering into the kingdom and some people are not. And if you think carefully, you, you might be able to avoid that latter category. You, you want to enter into the kingdom of God. Think, think, he's saying. And so we should do that. We should, for example, when it comes to the Bible, take it seriously with our minds. Think it through. Do you do that? When you look at this book, do you, do you reflect on it? Do you think it through? Do you, do you ask questions of it? When you find bits that don't make sense to you, do you pursue those things and start studying and start thinking and start asking other friends who, who are Christians to help you with it? Do you get hold of other resources to give you clarity about what this book teaches? This is the mature thing to do with the Word of God. And so I, I urge you to, to take it seriously, even when you hear teaching and preaching. The reality is that right now, most of the teaching and preaching you're hearing is, is in the same context as The Simpsons. You know, you're sitting around watching telly right now, probably, or some of you on your phone. It's, it's the same way that you download football scores or, or whatever. People watching entertainment. And when we're watching entertainment, we are not particularly engaged mentally. We're not necessarily being very intentional. We're just letting it wash over us. And we can fool ourselves into thinking that we just let things wash over us and that will, that will be enough for us to get to know God. But though it's true we should be washed by the washing of the word, there is a part we play. We, we genuinely get hold of it. We think it through. We, we deliberately meditate on it. So Jesus is calling us to something that's taught throughout scripture. Think these things through. He says, what do you think? What do you think today as you look at this story? of these two sons of a father, one of whom changed his mind. This is actually the whole point of the story. It's about the changing of our minds. There's a, there's a, a response that's expected. When was the last time you really changed your mind about something? When was the last time you, having gone a certain way in your assumptions about the world, in your beliefs about God and about uh, history, about yourself, about your family, you got to a point where you realized it didn't match up to reality and you had to change your mind. 
This is the very stuff of following Jesus. It involves a lot of mind changing. We won't simply be entertained into the kingdom of God. It will require some changing of the mind or the word repentance that we religiously use. It simply means changing of the mind. And here you've got a story of a father with two sons who, who, who tells them each to go and do some work in the vineyard. He, he wants them actually to be fruitful. It's not, it's not he's just, you know, tidy your bedroom. You know, parents know what it's like to tell their kids to just, you know, just tidy your room. And that's not a bad thing, but in this case, it's, it's kind of elevated higher. This is a point in their life where they can start to be fruitful. This is not just training. This is them coming into the use of the land they are inheriting. This is them finding their future, finding their destiny, becoming fruitful, successful people. And that in itself is a hint. Maybe you've never thought of it this way. God wants you to be a fruitful person. He doesn't just want you to be a compliant person or even just an efficient person. God wants you to be successful in the best spiritual sense, successful, whether the world notices or not, eternally speaking, God wants you to bear fruit, to, to have a meaning, purpose, destiny to your life. That you can look back and say, look at the things God helped me to do. I'm so pleased with the fruit that's come out of my life. That's what God wants for us. He wants nothing less than that. He doesn't drag us in as slaves, but as sons who get to have a, a, an inheritance in his, his realm, to, to bear fruit, to, to be fruitful with their lives. But these two sons, in different ways, each fail him. It's important to clarify that from the start. Neither of these two sons does it quite right. One of them says from the start, I will not. He, he deliberately refuses. His will is against God's will. Now, he changes his mind later, which is the happy ending. But in the case of the other son, he says, yeah, I'll go and work, but then doesn't. In, 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 what it means is that both of them in different ways have failed. One by virtue of what he didn't do, the other by virtue of, of, of what, he, what he didn't say initially. But both reflect an attitude that's flawed. Neither of them gets it right. But it's worth us unpacking each case. You've got, first of all, this boy that says, uh, I will not. That's, that's his initial response to his father. I will not. And in reality, Jesus is talking about the human condition in general. He's, he's talking to the people of Israel. He's talking to a particular people in a particular time and place who are responding to God in, in a resistant, rebellious way. But by extension, he's talking about humanity in general. The Bible is consistent in this diagnosis, which we, we find a little uncomfortable because we like, I suppose, to imagine ourselves as being at least neutral, you know, when it comes to goodness. You know, I do bad things, I do good things, I'm somewhere in the middle. Or, or maybe even we see ourselves as above average. You know, I'm, I'm basically, you know, I'm there, you know, I'm, I'm virtuous enough. But the consistent diagnosis of the Bible and here from the, the, the words of Jesus himself, friends, it's a serious diagnosis. This may be the first time you've ever thought of it this way. Some of you may be new to Christianity, new to the Bible, but this certainly unpleasant reality has to be faced in the process of us coming towards God, trying to get to know God. We have to face the reality that we are born into a rebellious relationship with God. That's where we start. We start by saying to him, I will not. Our will is 
in conflict with his will. We don't want his will. We don't want his fruitfulness or even his measure of fruitfulness. We don't want to be uh, evaluated by his systems and schemes. We want to we be independent, set our own agenda through life. That's what we're like from, from birth, the Bible says. There's no one that seeks God. We don't do it. We, we might think that we do. And that's where the second son story is so important. Because the second son, he, he gives the impression of compliance. He says, I, I, I'll, you know, I'll go into the field, I'll go into the vineyard and work. I, I, I'm gladly, I'm, I'm off to do it. But there's zero follow through. Nothing happens. He simply speaks. He says the right thing. And he seems to think that that's sufficient. He seems to think he's, that's okay. That was enough. I just had to say that I was going to do the will of God. I just had to comply outwardly. I had to keep to a certain pattern of behaviour that made it look like I was in. Listen, generally speaking, that is how we as human beings from the beginning have done life, have done religion even. We, we, tend, to, we tend to allow it to stay on the surface it doesn't penetrate the heart and so it doesn't penetrate the will. It doesn't change us inwardly enough to bring any lasting transformation. But we still complacently imagine that we're okay with, with God. Because, well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying the right stuff. I, I'm in the right tribe. I'm tweeting the right tweets. I'm, I'm putting out the right stuff on Instagram. I'm voting for the right people. I'm, I'm, I'm good enough. That's, that's how we will tend to think in our generation. You know, I, I, I belong to the right sort of tribe. I'm belonging to the right sort of crowd. And so, you know, I'm, that's, that's what's necessary. And I, I, I score when it comes to that criteria. I'm in. Maybe we even see it negatively. In fact, we, we generally do. We'll think, well, I, I'm not one of them, so I'm in. I don't belong to that group, so I'm in. We build up a security that's based upon uh, our performance and based upon our identity with certain groups. The, the, the group that we belong to is better than that group that we don't belong to. And so because of that, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm secure. But we're actually deceived. It's a false security. Jesus is using this story to shock his listeners into changing their minds. He wants to help them to see their desperate need. Their security is based on something fake because they see themselves as better than the despised tax collectors and prostitutes, as he names them before the end of the story. He says, the tax collectors and prostitutes, they get it before you religious people do. Now, we Brightonians, 21st century, uh, yeah, postmodern people, we, we are quick to assume that we would fit nicely into this parable as the goodies. You know, we, we, we feel these, these idiot Pharisees, these religious people, these teachers of the law, these religious leaders of Jesus' day who were against Jesus, we would never be like them. Because you know, we're, we're 21st century Britonians, we, we're bohemian, we, we're attracted to edgy stuff. We're not interested in morality and conformity. We, we celebrate the creative and the, and the surprising and the, the trans, transgressant, you know, the stuff that's kind of on the edge. That's, that's, that's us. That's how we would be in with Jesus. We would be like these sinners, these tax collectors and prostitutes. That's us. We're... Be careful. <laughs> 
be careful before you assume that this situation is transferable to the other. Because, friends, in the situation here, there's nothing cool about the tax collectors. There's nothing hip about the prostitutes. There's nothing bohemian and edgy. I don't know if you've ever seen the photographs after the Second World War of young girls in, in France and Holland who had been caught um, fraternising with the occupying Germans. You know, maybe a girl would, would, would befriend a, a, a Nazi soldier and she, she would uh, become his, his girlfriend. And maybe you've seen the photographs. After the war, these girls were dragged out into the public town squares and publicly shaved completely and then uh, a sign would be put over them to say, shaming them. That's because they were what would be called collaborators. They had collaborated with the enemy. They were traitors. When you think of it like that, then you're beginning to see what is meant by tax collectors. These were not hipsters. These were not the kind of edgy people you want to be around. We sometimes think like that. We don't realise the people that Jesus went to, the people that were often drawn to him, really were hated. They really were the dregs. They really were unfashionable. They were shameful people. And yet they found a friend in Jesus, many of them. They turned to him. They joined themselves to him. And it was actually too much for a lot of people. It was, it was too much of an assault on their senses. It was too, it was a stumbling block. He, he befriends the wrong people. I don't want to be around this one. He, he's, the people identifying with him offend me. So I turn my stomach, these people. I can't be with Jesus because of those people. And the reality is, in a, in a slightly different way, that still kind of happens, doesn't it? For many of us, the reason it's taking so long to put our trust in Jesus is because we're offended by Christians. We're offended by the kind of people that Jesus seems to relate to. The people that relate to Jesus, they put us off. And we have a, a whole load of objections, but really deep down, we kind of feel like we're above them. I don't need Jesus. They, they clearly do. I, I'm, you know, those people, I don't like those hypocrites, those Christians, those bigots. Those, I'm above them. I'm better than them. I'm better than that. And we don't realise we're playing right into, in a funny inverse way, we're playing into the same mistake. We're being 21st century Pharisees in our edginess. We're kind of despising people, being aloof from people who actually see Jesus as their only hope who see Jesus as the one who can change their hearts and transform them really and not just on the edge. We're seeing ourselves as above those spiritual beggars. And friends, you can't do that, you mustn't. It's a dangerous thing to see yourself as somehow above the need of Jesus. You, you, you have to come to him as a beggar. And for many of us, that's too much of an offence. It's, it's, it's true that we... We come to him even daily in that sense. We come to him always on the same basis. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I come to you as a, as a tax collector, as a prostitute, as a, as a traitor or a whore. That's, I come on the same level as those people I've despised. I come to you in the same place. I come in the same need. Every day I come on that basis and I receive. I receive everything I have. What do I have that I have not received? It's where we start. It's where we start every day. And for some of us, it's too much. And I 
beg you, I plead with you, don't be offended by that. If you feel that you're too good for the church, why is that? Why do you think that? Don't you think that might be dangerous? Don't you think that you might be making a mistake? Come humbly to Jesus. Come humbly to his word. Put yourself under it. Let it speak to you with all your wisdom and thinking and reason. Wrestle with it, yes, but wrestle with it as a humble servant and say, you're in charge. I'm under authority. You're the father. I'm the son. I'm following in humility, grateful for my welcome. Last thing, and the thing that strikes me here is how this, this crowd, the tax collectors and prostitutes, or the, in this place, the first son in the story, are drawn to Jesus. And in fact, to the teaching of John the Baptist, as Jesus refers to here. John, who was kind of Jesus' precursor, his forerunner, his prototype, who'd come out publicly as a preacher before Jesus, but had the same message of preparing for righteousness and the kingdom. And Jesus comes having been pointed to by John as the one who was sent, the one who I promised. I've told you, John says, that he's coming and here he is. And Jesus says, the tax collectors and prostitutes are drawn to John, drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to preachers, preachers. Of all people, why would, why would outcasts, why would sinners, why would these kind of treacherous snakes be drawn to preachers? They'd never been drawn to preachers before. The Pharisees would never have gotten to listen to them. The tax collectors and prostitutes wouldn't have gone near the, the religious teachers of the time. They would never have been drawn, never would have been attracted to the law as it was taught in that time. The commands and the, the legislation, do these things, do these things and, and be, a, be a good, well-mannered, well polite, well-behaved Jew that, that's, that's, that's kind of in with the society. You do that and, and we'll respect you. For these people, they knew they'd blown it. They knew they'd already failed. They knew they'd said, no, I will not. They knew there was a problem in their heart deep down. But somehow, when John comes, when Jesus comes, there's an attraction. There's a, a sense of hope. There's a sense of, I like this. <laughs> I want this. And John and Jesus preached just as strong, just as strong. If anything, stronger. Their preaching was scary. Jesus said things like, if your righteousness isn't greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom. Jesus wasn't dumbing it down or diluting it, but somehow they were still drawn. And it's, it's surely worth pursuing this. What, what is going on? Why would they be drawn? Look at verse 32. It says this, John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. I wonder what he means by even when you saw it. I've been thinking about that. I think it can only mean he's talking about himself. John came and then, you didn't believe him, and then even when you saw it, in other words, when you saw what John was talking about, the righteousness that comes through Jesus, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' life, Jesus' goodness, Jesus' holiness, which is so attractive that it's beautiful. Why, why is the righteousness that Jesus talks about so much better than the righteousness that comes from just trying to keep the laws of Moses, the, the rule, just trying desperately to turn over a new leaf and try and make up for the failings of my, my past. I've, I've clashed with God. I've turned my back on God. I've rebelled against God. I'm a failure. I'm a, I'm a fraud. I'm completely hopeless. 
I can't do it. Whenever we are confronted with religion in its natural sense, at best it produces in us a kind of skin-deep level of cheap hope, cheap hope. We kind of think, well, I'll, I'll try, I'll give it a go. I'll try, I'll try and become a better person. Maybe you've done that. I'll, I'll try, I'll stop doing this, I'll stop doing the stuff, I'll stop going there, I'll stop doing this. And we might try, but our hearts aren't changed. And do you know why? It's because we haven't seen what these tax collectors and prostitutes were beginning to see. Like, it's not really, friends, ultimately about keeping up with certain instructions. It is about seeing this righteousness, this righteous one, this Jesus. You know, I said earlier that neither of the two sons did it right. One of them said no and did yes, and one of them said yes and did no. There's only ever been one son who said from the start, yes, yes, from the start. It is my delight to do your will. I will keep your commands. I will be faithful. And then when the testing time came, when it was tempting to cut and run, when it was difficult to go and work in the vineyard, when it was painful, when he knew that blood would be shed, when the grapes would be crushed, he still went through with it. He still believed and trusted and he still obeyed. He still did what his father said gladly, joyfully, happily, going through the monstrous horror of the cross. Jesus said yes and did yes. He is the only one. And friends, it's because there's one who has been a faithful son that you and me who failed as sons and daughters, we can come to him. We can come. The work of God today, actually, is to come to know Jesus, to put your trust in Jesus, to bring yourself to Jesus, to, to what he says in, in, in John's gospel, to abide in Jesus. He's the vine. He's the true vine. You want to bear fruit? You want to be fruitful in your life? You want to have success, eternally speaking? You want your life to have meaning? You want to flourish? We all want to. We're born wanting to. It's what you're made for. You weren't made for futility and a meaningless life. You weren't made for that. You were made to be fruitful, meaningful, joyful and have eternal life. But there's only one son that's done that well. And as we repent, as we change our minds and turn to him and say, okay, I'll be numbered with the transgressors. I'll be one of the sinners. I'll come to you on the basis of your grace and your righteousness, not mine, your righteousness, your forgiveness. I don't even know how to do it. I might even start by saying no. Some of the heroes of this book, they, like Moses, they say, I can't do it. I, can't, I, I don't know how to do obedience. I don't know how to do what you're saying. Well, that's okay. Just tell him. Speak to him about it. Tell him how you fall short. Tell him your weakness. Don't run away from him. Don't hide from him. In disobedience or in religion, don't hide yourself away from the one who is faithful. Find in him the grace, the kindness, the forgiveness, the life, the joy that you need in order to be a fruitful son or daughter in the vineyard that God provides. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would help us each to see the glory and the beauty and the goodness of your son and be transformed to trust and love and obey him more and more. Amen.